Welcome to Calvary. My name is Dahlia and I'm the director of women's ministry here. Here at Calvary, we want this to be a place where you can come and worship, get to know God and connect into our community. If you're new here, we can't wait to get to know you. So feel free to message us on social media or text the word hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. This is a great first step to joining our church family. We also want you to experience daily personal encounters with God, discipleship, and community. So if you want to learn more about our culture here, deepen your relationship with God, and find a small group that you can really connect with, we would love to encourage you to talk to one of our volunteers or staff after the service. I'm so glad you could join us today. You know, I am somewhat fascinated by the phenomenon of news media. Even when they seek to present facts objectively, I find it's just really hard to not have some bias. I find it harder to find news that simply reports the facts of an event or a situation and then challenges us to think for ourselves and to draw our own conclusions. But what I have found over the last number of years it appears that media draws their own conclusion and sees their role as convincing us to believe their conclusion. And rather than encouraging us to think critically and rely on common sense, they seem to believe it's their role to convince us of what we should think. And if a person believes anything different than they have concluded, well, that person is obviously wrong and a pariah to society. Now, I've seen this on both sides of many different issues. What many claim as objective reporting, I find merely propaganda for their particular grand narrative. I'm sure you've heard of cancel culture, where anyone who chooses a different narrative than the one that a particular group wants vocalized, they simply cancel the speaking engagement or suspend their social media account and portray them as a true menace, menace to society. Am I the only one that's seen this? Anybody else? How do we draw conclusions or make judgments on what is reality versus what is a smokescreen or propaganda? How do we discern truth from error? Is it even possible to see through an illusion that somebody else is trying to get us to believe as reality? Well, the process of determining what is right and wrong, what is real versus unreal, what is of God and that which is not, is called discernment. And to discern means to perceive differences of something by an internal sense. For instance... It's the ability to distinguish between reality and unreality, 
to make a judgment on something that is right or wrong. It's the ability to recognize what is going on behind the scenes or what is happening beyond what is presented on the surface. Now, one area of discernment is spiritual discernment. And according to 1 Corinthians, it is a supernatural ability that the Holy Spirit gives to those who follow Jesus Christ that enables us to tell something, tells that something is from God or it is from Satan. Now, if you were just joining us, this summer we are in a series looking at the historical events around the Jewish people's third major migration back to Judea from various parts of Babylon and Susa of the Persian Empire. And it's recorded in, no, it's recorded by Nehemiah in a book written by him called Nehemiah. It's not rocket science. The mission that God has given him is to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that were destroyed some 150 years earlier when King Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judea and exiled most of its people off to Babylon. This was going to be a massive undertaking as the walls were several kilometers in circumference around the city of of Jerusalem and often nine feet thick in some places. I can't even imagine walls that big. Last week, we looked at how the work began, the attitudes of the people who leaned in, and how God uses people from all walks of life to pitch in any way that they can, any way that we can, to accomplish what God has called us to do. Today, we jump into chapter 6, like peering through a window to observe the opposition that Nehemiah faces in leading this enormous construction project. The work has been going on now for a number of weeks, and word spreads to three men who have opposed Nehemiah, and they don't like it. In fact, they were incensed when they first heard that Nehemiah had garnered royal assent. Not only the permission of King Artaxerxes to do this, but also his royal protection and the resources to complete the task. These three men have been working against Nehemiah from the very beginning. Why? Well, the text doesn't tell us, but what seems obvious to me is that they, they don't want to give up the control that they have over these impoverished people of Judea. But their opposition is far from effective. The whole community under the leadership of Nehemiah, who is now governor over the entire region of Judea, they have been very focused and undistracted in their pursuit of accomplishing this mission. By the beginning of chapter 6, the people have basically been uh, finished the wall. They've, cl- they've been closing in the gaps. And we start with Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. <laughs> Isaiah, Nehemiah. Senballat, Tobiah, Geshem, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. But this is not de- uh, deterring these men from throwing obstacles in Nehemiah's way. They don't cease and desist. They don't give up because the work is basically finished. 
No, they simply changed their tactics in order to thwart this work in a different way. Nehemiah needs to accurately discern what is coming at him, what is happening behind the scenes. If he doesn't discern well, at minimum, it would significantly limit the mission he was called to accomplish, or far worse, it gets him killed. So the stakes are high. God's heart to restore people's lives includes this need for discernment if the mission is to be accomplished. Many of us, I know, have not had many tasks like the scope that Nehemiah has. But we too can be thwarted, whether it's by our own evil desires or by Satan, the arch enemy of God, and anyone who follows Jesus Christ. The more we surrender to Jesus Christ, the less control he has over our lives, and he doesn't like it. It doesn't matter our place in life, the size of our bank account, our heritage, our race, our education, or social connections. Satan will do everything he can to push our buttons and to get us off our game or to distract us from what God has called, God has said, is priority for us. We need to learn to discern. And from Nehemiah's experience here in chapter 6, we can first discern the intent of requests. Let's read verse 2. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Now, we're not told how Nehemiah actually realizes the intent of their request. But that discernment is absolutely critical. Perhaps it was the location of their request that tipped him off. The plain of Ono, where they were asking to meet, is on the outer edge of Nehemiah's territory and bordering on his enemy's territory, Ashdod and Samaria. It was neither safe nor a secure location. His enemies could easily dispose of him and then tell the king whatever story that they wanted to. In addition to that, it would take him a full day's journey to travel there, probably a day in conversation and discussion, and then a whole nother day back. And so both of these reasons were enough for Nehemiah to see through their plot and not give in to their request. But notice, Nehemiah does not include an accusation that they were wanting to harm him in his response. He doesn't go there. And it is wise because without proof, he would look like a crazy man with such an unproven accusation. So he simply stays on task and keeps the mission the main thing. Now, again for us here today, we may not have people seeking our life, but there can be many ways that the enemy seeks to lure us into a situation where we can be harmed by an addiction or be tempted to make a decision, perhaps in an in a inappropriate relationship, or tempt us to make a decision that compromises our integrity and the truth of God's word. 
Do you know what this is like? Have you already been lured into a compromising situation and you're experiencing the harm right now in your life? Well, I I hope not. But if you are, come talk to us. Talk to your small group. Going through these kinds of things in community is really important. And it can help us make better decisions next time. You know, on a much lesser plane, there have been times I've been asked to do things by what I believe is well-meaning people. But as I've processed it and prayed through it, and I was just in a conversation out in the foyer here this morning about this, the sense was that it would not be the direction of the priorities that what God has called me to do. So they may be good things, but they're not best. And so I've had to decline those requests. But I can tell you honestly that there have been long seasons in my life where pleasing people was far more important and controlling my decisions than hearing from God and making a decision based upon what the Holy Spirit is saying and some common sense. I'm embarrassed to tell you that, but I know that God was using those things. That was just part of my journey in order for him to help me grow and to mature. You know, whatever the request or the temptation, if we discern accurately and therefore victoriously rise above, that's great. But never think it's a one and done. Look at verse four. Four times they sent the same message and each time I gave the same reply. Four times. Sanballat and Geshem are persistent, but so was Nehemiah in his response. You know, I find addictions much like this. Persistence, among other things, is key to gaining freedom. Again, now this text doesn't tell us how we can learn to discern some of these things or the intent of a request and the temptations that come to us, but I believe the Holy Spirit will show us when we seek him for this understanding, especially those of us who have followed Jesus Christ. Secondly, we need to learn to discern truth from error. Verse five, the fifth time Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. An open letter was one of those letters that was free for anybody to read. Anybody who saw him, he could talk about it. He could open it up and share it to anybody he wanted to. And this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, so I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. Well, when some of the the enemy's first attempts don't work well to get us off our game, he will often simply try another strategy. And attempting to smear or attempting to assassinate our character is one of them. Knowing that Nehemiah is a man of integrity, he's a man of honor, they come seeking to ruin his reputation by accusing him of some great 
selfish ambition and self-promotion. They're hoping that Nehemiah will come to his own defense and engage them in the court of public opinion. Now, I know firsthand the damage that false accusations can cause, both in a reputation with other people and the hurt and the grief that comes inside. But to respond publicly to false accusations, as tempting as it is to come to our own defense and to set set the record straight, rarely works the way we think it does. In fact, it usually does the opposite. It makes us look guilty and that we've got something to hide. What I have repeatedly needed to choose is to allow God to be my defender. You see, most often, even if people initially believe those accusations to be true, the true character of those who are exposing these things or, or accusing of these things, they will be exposed for what it is. And very often, their reputation is marred. And hopefully, over time, our reputation is restored. You see, God's instructions through Moses to the entire Israelite community, when their backs were up against a body of water, so they had no place to run, and the Egyptian army is approaching them from the front. So it was, this was an impossible situation. Moses says this to them. Exodus 14, verse 14. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And yet I can tell you that that is the hardest thing to do in those moments. Nehemiah is not flapped by this false accusation. He doesn't reply publicly. He simply sends a short note, verse 8. He says, there's no truth in any part of your story. You are making the whole thing up. Nehemiah discerns, verse 9, they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. And so, and, and, and look at the effect. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Amen. Discerning truth from error is important for us to learn. But here's the challenge about accusation. Sometimes there is a hint of truth. There is a piece of the accusation that is true, but not all of it. Well, what do we do then? The moment we see something false in what is said about us, the easy thing is for us to write the whole thing off as false. And we do this within ourselves, and we do this to other people. Essentially lying to ourselves and to other people about that little piece that is true. But what I think is a better response is to look at the accusation seriously and ask ourselves, Is there any truth in here? I think we pray like King David prayed in Psalm 139. This isn't on PowerPoint. Where he prayed this. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way 
everlasting. If we take an honest assessment and realize a piece of that accusation is actually true, I think it's important for us to own that, to apologize, and to repent to those that we need to. I think it's important that we accept responsibility for the things that that we think and that that we hold as true or that we've said or that we've done that were hurtful to somebody else. I believe this is the only way we can bring correction to ourselves, that we can make things right between us and God and, and reconcile with those that we've hurt. And then the pieces that are false, just let them go. Discard them as untrue. I think that phrase, eat the chicken, spit out the bones, I think that applies here. Thirdly, learn to discern faith from fear. Verse 10. Later I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and grandson to Mehetabel, who was, man, there's a lot of interesting Hebrew names in this book, who was confined to his home. He said, get this, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. Now, on the surface, this is a reasonable suggestion. If there really was a group of people seeking to kill him and the urgency was true that they were coming tonight, it would be perfectly understandable for him to find a safe refuge. After all, if he was killed... This major project of restoring the wall and the next project of restoring the community, it would be lost. So where does the discernment come into play here for this piece? Well, it's in Shemaiah's suggestion of how to save Nehemiah. Notice he says, if you could maybe just put that verse back up there. Let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. If it's the safest place in Jerusalem, that would not be a wrong suggestion. The problem is, Shemaiah was not referring to the outer court where the common Israelite person could go. The only portion of the temple that had deadbolts at that time was the inner sanctuary. And only priests, according to God's law, are allowed to go in that area. So we know that Shemaiah was a priest. For the only one... Um, for that, that's the only way that his request would be taken seriously as reasonable. But Nehemiah was not. He's not a priest. And for him to enter that area would be a sin, a sin against God. And it would be a major discredit to not only his character, but also his reputation as someone who seeks to honor God. And so his response, verse 11, but I replied, <clears throat> Should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. So what was it that tipped Nehemiah off? Well, I believe it was his knowledge of the scriptures and the law of God. He knew the Bible that they had at the time well enough to know that God's clear instructions about certain things 
And so for someone, even though it was a priest, to, to suggest that he go against God's word to protect himself was an immediate flag for Nehemiah. God will never call us to do something that violates his word and that goes against what he's already instructed us to do. Let me say that again. God will never call us to do something that violates his already revealed will. And Nehemiah knew it. He saw through the intimidation to incite fear, which would lead Nehemiah to sin. And instead, he walks in faith that God will protect him and keep him safe. Discerning faith and truth from fear. This is why for anyone who wants to follow Jesus Christ, we need to get to know the Bible. It's his owner's manual, the owner's manual for how to live well in this life. It gives us tangible pictures of the character and the heart of God. It teaches us how to honor him and to obey him and and how we relate to him. Never has it been more important for us to discern faith and truth from fear than it is today. Every day, media and culture and businesses and organizations, even governments are pushing us, often trying to intimidate us through repercussions and perhaps some even through legislation, trying to force us to compromise God's truth. God's word and the truth contained in it gives us a clear direction in many things, including hot-button cultural issues, sanctity of life, human sexuality, and the image of God reflected in us. Let me just say this. This is our standard. Not culture. We interpret culture through this, through the Bible. Not not seek to interpret the Bible through our culture. This is our standard. Though fear and intimidation, through fear and intimidation, the enemy is trying to get us to bow down, get us to compromise God's word, to honor sin and to dishonor God. And just as God would not instruct Nehemiah to do something that goes directly against his already revealed instructions, even though it was coming through the person, a person of spiritual authority, like Shemaiah, He will not ask us, he will not instruct us to do something that goes against what he's already said. Knowledge of the Bible, God's character, and confidence in God's ability to not just protect, as here in this text, but also to provide and to sustain and to guide, help us to discern truth and faith from fear. Sadly, this priest and a number of prophets were bought off by Tobiah and Sanballat. Verse 14, remember, oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sanballat have done. And remember Noadiah, the prophet, and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. You see, not everyone who claims to speak for God is actually speaking from God. It's important to learn 
to discern. Now, if you read this prayer, you might think to yourself, uh, that's not the way we've been taught to pray. That's not the, what the Bible teaches. And I'd have to agree with you. I'd say you're right. Because Jesus teaches us differently. He teaches us to love our enemies. He teaches us to bless and, and not to curse. To pray for those who persecute us. And say all kinds of nasty things against us because we follow Jesus Christ. But Nehemiah didn't live during Jesus' time. He didn't have the teaching that we do. But his prayer is still consistent. It's still within the bounds of Old Testament teaching. For it says in Deuteronomy, where God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So Nehemiah was not seeking to avenge himself here, if you noticed in that prayer. He was entrusting his enemies to God for him to deal with as he saw fit. And it's the same for us. When we're upset because people have said nasty, untrue things about us. When we're angry because it seems like people just constantly work against us. When we're frustrated that others just seem to oppose us for no reason at all. Instead of lashing out at them, which was what we want to do, we can entrust them to God and allow him to deal with them as he sees fit. Nehemiah did not let fear and lies rule the day. But has it gotten the best of you? Could that be the fear of standing for truth? Could it be the fear of our reputation and what others think of us? Maybe it's of like sickness or bankruptcy or abandonment. For what? Fear of what for you? Has it gotten you off your game? Caused you to take your eyes off God and onto this impending doom you feel? Has it caused you to do something that dishonors God or directly disobeys God and what he teaches in his word? Is it time? And I say this with all my heart. Is it time to come and lay our fear at Jesus' hands? Asking him to help us overcome to trust his goodness and his care. In other ways, is a time that we, like Nehemiah, refuse to bend to fear and lies that others are seeking to convince us of, but rather through discernment that God gives us to take a stand for truth. The world around us is desperately needing people to stand. And just like Nehemiah, he will give us what we need to not only face our fear, but to rise above it. Amen. Fourthly, we can learn to discern false friendship. Verse 17, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shechaniah, son of Ara, and his son Jehoianan was married to, his, to the daughter of Meshelam, 
son of Berechiah. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds. And then they told him everything that I said. And Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. Tobiah's fourth tactic to use is his commercial influence and his family connections with many of the nobles throughout the region of Judah to leverage these things against Nehemiah. Some of the families may have been good, solid Jewish families who felt that both the commercial contracts and their social influence were important, were necessary for their business to succeed. But when Tobiah comes calling, it's like they forget their moors of faith and integrity to do his bidding. Money, social status become more important than sincere faith in God and integrity in relationships. You know, one of my favorite movie genres is espionage. This reminds me of that. Tobiah is paying people off behind the scenes to not only promote his agenda, but use them, entrap them as informants. We learn discernment. We can learn discernment even in friendships. Words of encouragement are one thing. Flattery is completely another. Where encouragement builds someone up and gives confidence or hope, flattery is excessive and insincere praise, given especially to further a person's own interests. Like in Nehemiah's friends, and what they were saying about Tobiah. Genuine encouragement leaves us feeling a sense of stronger because of what has been shared with us. Flattery can leave us empty, cheapened, or even a bit slimed. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Now, I'm not sure if Nehemiah knew, any, knew who he could trust anymore of any of the people around him, but he wouldn't allow himself to waver. Fathers, do you take the time? Are you intentional to train your kids how to discern well in friendship and in relationships and how to choose well and begin to recognize signs of good friendship versus not-so-good friendship. You know, I believe the God, the Holy Spirit, I believe he gives, he gives this experience from Nehemiah here in chapter 6 to help us learn to discern when people or the enemy are actively working against us. And what glares at me from these pages from Nehemiah And his response is that God will give us what we need to perceive reality, that which is behind the scenes, that what is really going on, to accurately discern what is happening in any pressure, in any temptation, or any opposition we face. And then I believe he will show us the best way for us to respond. God is greater than all these things. And the Holy Spirit, he's the God of truth. And I believe he will lead us into all truth. 
And if we lean in to learn and discern, I believe he will teach us. This is one of the ways that for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, that we keep in step with the Spirit in the midst of our day, in the midst of whatever challenge that we have in front of us. Let's pray. God, I thank you that though this was written some 2,500 years ago, it's very relevant to us today. That your word is alive, it is active, it pierces to the very core of who we are, even helping us discern things in our spirit and our soul. And some of these things that go on when we face opposition, false accusation, smoke screens. Holy Spirit, I ask for anyone here today who does not follow you, who does not know you personally, who's, who has not surrendered their life to you, would you reveal to their spirit the truth of who you are? The truth of what you've come to do and what you have come to do for them. And then I pray that you would give them a tangible experience of their heavenly Father's love. That they would come to you, begin to trust you, ask forgiveness of their sin, and, and begin to trust you in the midst of whatever it is that they are facing. And as they do, would you come by your Holy Spirit and live inside of them, helping them grow in their discernment for all of us, would you help us see what we need to see, hear what we need to hear, so that we can discern well each situation that we come into. For those of us that are, that are older, even for the youngest among us, that we would learn to discern. Would you glorify yourself through us and through your church? in the midst of this culture that you have called us to live. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.